Um, during this summer, uh, Pastor Keith and myself have been working you through uh, the book of Acts. And in Acts, rather than taking it verse by verse, we've been walking through the ministers, Peter, then Paul, then Stephen, and now uh, we come to our last uh, treatment uh, of uh, Philip. We've been speaking each of each minister around who they were as a minister, what their message is, what their mission is, and what their method uh, of. And today we're going to speak about that in relation to, to Philip. Last week, our ministry intern, uh, Lisa, shared with you that, that the uh, mission of Philip was to share the good news. And she spent some time teaching us how it was that we can compose our own way of sharing our faith in Jesus Christ and how we can be direct in speaking it uh, and living it and loving it into the people that we know. Today, Pastor Keith is going to take that a whole uh, next step as he talks about Philip's method, first in his ministry, and then, of course, our responsibility to follow that method even today. Now, we have no way of really understanding what Philip's method is without looking first at the Holy Scriptures and seeing what it says there about it. Our journey continues in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and following. Uh, The words are in your hands or on the screen. I'd ask that you follow along with me. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting on his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life? was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, about who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God add his blessing and our pursuit of understanding Uh, this scripture uh, to our reading. Would you pray with me? O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Parent of each one of us here, we ask your blessing as we come to worship this morning. Our blessing first that we might hear with clearly these words, and secondly that your minister, your messenger, Keith, 
might speak not only well of you, but speak well in such ways that we might hear. Enable him, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to say the words that you have prepared before this moment for this particular time and allow us uh, supple hearts and open ears to hear them. Uh, Bless Keith, Lord, this morning as he preaches your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Got a lot to talk about today, so I'm just going to get right to it. Let's talk about Philip's method. I think Philip's method is is pretty easy when you break it down. There are four components to it that that I want to share with you, and then we're going to kind of hit on one thing that this Ethiopian eunuch said that I think is just mind-blowing. But the first thing that I think Philip's method reveals to us is is what I'm going to call answering question number zero, okay? Question number zero is this, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish? Philip has absolute clarity about what he's there to do. When the Spirit of the Lord sends Philip to this desert road, it wasn't so Philip could go down there and scout out a place to build a summer home. It wasn't so that Philip could go down there and, you know, check out the lay of the land and just sort of, you know, get a nice view of the day and have a nice trip. The Spirit of the Lord guides Philip, and Philip knows exactly what his purpose is. His purpose is to spread the gospel. His purpose is to share who Christ is with everyone he gets an opportunity to do so. He knows exactly why he's there. So the first part of his method is simply to understand what he's trying to accomplish, and he has absolute clarity about that. The second part of his method is how he got there. He let the Spirit guide him. Philip didn't sit down in an office one day and take a road map out and say, hmm, where can I strategically place myself in order to do ministry? Where is the growing part of town or where is there the greatest need? Philip, and there's nothing wrong with asking those questions, by the way, but what Philip simply did was when God says go here, he went. He was led not by his own wisdom or his own ideas or even those of other human beings. He was led by the Spirit of God. And that's incredibly important. That's a method way of doing things to to say our method is going to be to be led by the Spirit of God. For Philip, that was first and foremost. Philip also, as his method, he takes advantage of whatever situation he finds himself in. He doesn't wish for different situations or different circumstances. He simply uses whatever circumstance and situation he finds himself in to do ministry. It happened to be on this desert road where the Spirit of the Lord led him. So guess what? He used what was in front of him. He, he spoke the truth to whoever came into his way. And finally, Philip responds to the needs around him immediately. He doesn't doesn't create a plan. He doesn't decide what he's going to do later. He responds immediately to those needs. That was his method. Pretty simple. We're done, right? Donuts? Is that cool? No, they're downstairs. Oh, oh, you probably want a little bit more. Okay, well, let's talk about that for us from, from our perspective because we, you know, having a method is a pretty important thing when it comes to, to having a church or doing anything that you want to do. And the first thing that we have to do as a church is, is answer the question, number zero, what are we trying to accomplish? Because if we truly don't know what that looks like, then we can be in all sorts of different places. And, and make no mistake about it, that is not generally the thing that we start with. What are we trying to accomplish? Usually we just do what we do, right? Because that's what we do. And whenever we ask the question, well, why are we doing with this? It's amazing. Or why are we doing this? Sometimes we have to really stop and think about it. Okay, what's the goal here? And many times different people have different answers to that question. 
Why do we make backpacks for kids? Why do we serve hundreds of kids every day lunches for fly? Why do we have four worship services here? Why do we have a prayer walk next Sunday night? Why do we have all these programs and purposes of our ministry? What is all that about? If, if we don't have clarity in terms of why we're doing what we're doing, then, then we're going to struggle. So we have to be about that as churches, but we also have to be about that as individuals, don't we? You have to have absolute clarity in your life as to what your purpose is as a human being. We talked about each person has a message in their life. You've got a purpose too, and you have to have clarity about what it is. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, your purpose has to be to glorify God, and you must have clarity in that. Philip had clarity, and we must be the same. Let the Spirit guide you. We must also be led by the Spirit, both as a body of believers, as a church, Certainly the plans that we have before us need to be plans that weren't, you know, thrown up against the wall and we threw a tack and whichever one or a dart and wherever it hit, that's where we go. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be asking the question, what is God's Spirit calling us to do? And where is God's Spirit taking us? And as individuals, we must do the same. You must let God's Spirit guide you. And then lastly... Take advantage, or second to last, take advantage of the situation. I, I can't tell you how many times I have talked with folks who have said things to me like, you know, Pastor Keith, I just want to be used by God. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want God to do something big in my life. And, and, and so I wait, they would say. We pray, we, God, put me someplace great. And we have these, you know, big visions of where we want to go for the ministry and big things that we want to do. And we just wish that God would put us in the game. We wish that God would use us to do great things someplace. But oftentimes we neglect what's happening around us, our own situations, our own circumstances. If we would be led by the Spirit of God with clarity, we would recognize that wherever we find ourselves, if we're truly led by the Spirit, then that means that we have been led by the Spirit. So if you have been led by the Spirit, then you are right now where you are supposed to be. So take advantage of that situation. Do ministry right where you find yourself. Never forsake doing ministry for the sake of asking to do ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? Never not do what you want to do because you're not where you want to be. Do it right here where you are and watch God work and respond to it immediately. How many times have you ever, like we talked about these prayer cards, have you ever had someone come up to you and say, oh, I'm going through this terrible thing or terrible thing and, and I just want you to pray for me and, and you've answered the question by saying or, or the issue, well, sure, I'll pray for you. We do that. I've done that. We, we do that, right? It's kind of what you say when you're ready to be done with that conversation, right? Someone's going on and on. Okay, I'll pray for you. Got it. Next. Right? Well, what would happen if in your life, the next time someone came to you with, a, with something they needed prayer for, you just stopped what you were doing right there and prayed? Right in the middle of whatever you were doing. Someone says, oh, I'm going through this. I'm going through that. I, my job is falling apart. My marriage is in trouble. My kids are, are, are making bad choices. I don't know what to do about that. Would you pray for me? And you just said, okay, let's do it right now. And you put a hand on their shoulder and you began to pray right there in Walmart or right there in the narthex or in your home or at the water cooler. I don't know, wherever God puts you or wherever you find yourself and there's an opportunity to do ministry, Philip didn't waste time. He just jumped right in. So that's the method. Let me just, I want to look though at, you know, we can have these methods, but then we go, okay, well, we can have all this great stuff, but, but 
are we really doing it? And sometimes we can get caught up in, in the issues of like trying to figure out how to do ministry. Have you ever had conversations like that? If you're in one of the boards at the church or committee, we have a lot of meetings like that. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Well, there's an interesting question that this Ethiopian man asks Philip that I think is, is pretty profound. And it happens when he comes upon this water and, and, and the Ethiopian eunuch looks at the water and he looks at Philip and he says, hey, there's water down there. What's keeping me from being baptized? What's there to stop me from being baptized right now? And the answer to that question was absolutely nothing. So they did it. Too often times we ask the question, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And we fail to ask the question, what are we supposed to not do? How do we grow? How do we grow? How do we grow? Well, do we ever ask the question, what's keeping us from growing? It's a phenomenal distinction that we have to make. I remember when I was being interviewed by a church to, to come and, and do ministry with them, we were sitting in this room and they were, they were telling me all the great things about their church. And, and they were talking about how friendly they are and how, how uh, you know, wonderful they are and how it's such a great place to be. And I remember listening to all this and I, I looked at them in this room and I said, I said, this church sounds like a great place to be. You got a lot of awesome things happening. So my question for you is this, because the church was, was dying. If this church is so great and God's doing so many awesome things in your lives, why isn't this church growing? What's stopping us from doing the ministry? See, that's a great question for us to ask as a, as a body and as individuals. What's keeping me from doing the ministry that God wants me to do? You see, as Christ's church, as Christ's people, our default setting, our autopilot, if you want to call it, should be awesome, successful, impactful ministry. Because that's what Jesus has promised his church would do. So that's where we're headed. That's our default setting. So the question is, are we on course? And if we're not, what's stopping us? What's keeping us? We shouldn't try to have to figure out what we're supposed to do. We should just be doing it, right? Because as God's people, we're oriented toward Christ. We're oriented toward ministry. And we don't have to ask the question, what do we have to do to get in the game? I mean, look around. This is the team right here. I mean, this is God's varsity team right here in Marion, Iowa. You're it. We're it. God's put us in the game. So he put us in the game to win. He put us in the game to succeed. So if it's not happening, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? What's stopping us? What's stopping us? Now, let's start off with the question. Let's not assume anything. Are we pointed toward Christ? Is the default setting of our church and of our individual lives indeed pointed toward Christ? You see, everybody's life is pointed towards something. Everyone's life has a natural setting that if left just unmessed un with will head in that direction. It's like an autopilot setting for a boat or for an airplane. Everyone's life is pointed towards something. And the Bible tells us that as a Christian, your life has been transformed, your heart has been changed, your mind has been renewed. So now the things of this world are not your default setting. Christ becomes your default setting. That's the natural course of your life. And that's what seems natural to you, right? See, we've got to we start with that question and ask ourselves, have we truly been transformed by Jesus? See, just going to church doesn't mean you're truly transformed. You could sit in a pew for 60 years and not truly have your mind transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You see, if you're not pointed toward Christ, the Bible tells us that you're pointed toward the world, that you're pointed toward self. Every human being's natural instinct is pointed towards self. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a human being. That's, that's our nature. We're pointed towards self. And, and, and as we become Christians, as we have our minds changed, as we turn from our sin to follow Christ, then the Bible talks about this new birth that happens where now our orientation is changed toward Christ. There are two polar opposites. You can't set your autopilot on two different courses. You'll just stay there. So you've got to start with the question. And I'm not going to assume anything with anybody. Now, I'm not here to judge you. But I'm going to ask you to judge you. You look at your own life. Examine your own self. Is your natural tendency toward the things of Christ? I don't mean to say that once you become a follower of Christ that you never struggle or you never have difficulty in doing what you're supposed to do. I mean, I mean, that's part of life. Even as a believer, we still continue to wrestle. We still continue to struggle. But the question isn't, do you struggle? The question is, when you do, are you struggling to stay toward Christ? Or are you struggling to stay toward the world? You see, the Bible talks about this. It talks about the desires of your heart, the inward desires of your heart. And in fact, there's a verse in, in Psalm chapter 37 that says this, and it's, it's a good verse. It says, delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if you take that verse to mean, well, hey, if I just love Jesus and go to church, then he'll give me all the stuff I want. He'll take the desires of my heart and he'll just give me everything that I've always wanted. If, if you take it to mean that, it's a pretty good indication you don't understand. It's a pretty good indication that your, your orientation is still set to self and not set to Christ. Because what the verse is really talking about is this, that when you delight in the Lord, when you truly seek Christ more than anything, that he will not hide himself from you, that he will give to you that thing which you desire most. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said one time that, that, you know, he was talking about eternity and whether you go to heaven or where you go to hell, and, and someone asked him about that, and he said, you know, God's desire ultimately is to give you the thing that you want the most. And heaven is for people who want Jesus the most. And hell is for people who want self the most. Because Jesus isn't going to force himself on you if he's not what you want. And he's not going to give himself to you. So delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, desires for him. And when you've had your mind changed, then the natural thing to do is to worship God. It's not a chore. It's not a bother. It's not something that you have to force upon yourself. It becomes your very life. And to do anything otherwise seems completely unnatural. I'll tell you, we were, we were, last week was a pretty unnatural week for our family. We were, we were on vacation last week. We had this little, this little uh, piece of property on this lake in Illinois, and uh, it keeps getting farther and farther away from us as we keep moving. But uh, we, we were down there last weekend, and, it, and we had every intention. We were going to we go worship at our old church in Burlington, where I was the pastor, the one I was telling you about, because indeed, we started to grow as a church. It was an exciting couple years down there, and, and, and we loved those people down there, and they love us, and, and we were excited to go worship there. And then I got this email that was stating that their new pastor that they just hired, it was going to be his first Sunday there, last Sunday. And I thought, probably not a good move for me to show up on this guy's first day, right? You know? And so, not out of lack of desire or anything like that, I just didn't want to steal his thunder. So, so we didn't go to church. 
And I got to tell you, when I got up on Sunday and we didn't go and we were sitting around and even, even my kids were asking me, what are we, we're not going to church? What's the matter with us? You know, it just felt unnatural. It just didn't feel quite right. So we're so thankful to be back today worshiping with you. You see, we have to talk about what's natural to us. Now, certainly there are other things that, that seem natural to me that, that, that I wish weren't so. And that's the struggle of, of, of life. But I want to believe that my default is always going to drive me back to Christ. See, once we've dealt with that, we have to ask ourselves then, if we are pointed toward Christ, if we have made that life change, what's keeping us from doing the ministry we know we should do? What's stopping you? What is it? What's stopping us? Are we too tired? Are we too busy? Are we too old? Are we too young? Are we apathetic? Are we lazy? Do we just have sin in our lives that we're not willing to get rid of yet? Do we not have enough money? Do we say, oh, if I only had more stuff, I could do better things? You know, do we have all these things? I mean, what do you think? This is, is this a good list here? It goes on and on and on. That's just mine. What about you? You see, if we truly want to find out what God has for us, we don't have to come up with this clever way of figuring it out. We just have to get all the other stuff out of the way and let it happen. And that's important. So you get to that place in your life, you get to that place where, where you really want to see what God does in your life and, 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 and you don't want anything holding you back. I want to just give you a couple things to think about as we, as we are pointed toward communion here. First and foremost is you really need to begin to think about it. You really need to begin to, to, to consider in your own life what's stopping you from becoming the disciple that you know you should be. The second thing that you need to do, I think, is you've got to talk to somebody about it. You need to confide in another person. You need to, you need to bring this thing into the light and, and, and sit down with someone and say, look, this is the thing I think that's stopping me. So they can help you with that. So they can hold you accountable with that. So they can be a resource to you. And then, of course, you need to, in prayer, ask God to continue to work in your heart. You need to continue to bring your heart to the Lord and say, God, these are the things that I, I know are keeping me from your plan for my life. Deal with them. Get rid of them. Change them in my heart. Recognize that the answer is not found in your willpower or your determining or, or anything that you can do. Re recognize the answer is found is when you surrender your heart to God and let Him do the change. Because I can promise you this, if you try to change you, you'll always go back. But if you let God change you, then your default can be shifted towards Him and then you'll be amazed at what He can do in your life. And then lastly, just get down to it and do it. Just dig in and get the work done. And some of you think because you struggle, it means that, well, something's not right. You know what? Life is a struggle, right? And just because your autopilot can be set towards Jesus doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, does it? You still struggle. You still wrestle. Even when you go on an airplane and they set it to autopilot, you can still have turbulence, right? Yesterday, my, my in-laws are here from Philly, and, and, and we were on our way to pick them up at about 1245 yesterday. What was happening at 1245 in this town yesterday? Right. We're on the side of Highway 30, and the rain is going up. Usually rain comes down. Our, our Suburban is about, you know, on two wheels, ready to go down the ditch, and we can't see anything, and we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there thinking about our in-laws going, boy, they're in an airplane right now. I wonder how that's going. Now, I know that the pilot knows the way to go. I know that the computer is programmed to land at Cedar Rapids. Somehow they wound up in Moline, right? We're thankful because they're safe. But, 
The fact is, you can be set in the right direction, but still, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficulty, or there's not going to be turbulence. Don't mistake that for God not working in your life. It just means that you're in this fallen world, and it's a battle. So what's to prevent us from doing the work of the kingdom and succeeding? What's to prevent you? The answer is this, nothing except for what we allow. Except for what we allow. So what's our method? I think it's pretty simple. Know what we're here to do. Let God's Spirit guide us and take advantage of every opportunity that we have to do ministry immediately, not waiting. You know, we've got a great picture of this this morning as we move into communion today. Because indeed, Jesus Christ, he did exactly that. We could talk about Philip's method. Ultimately, Philip's method was Jesus' method. You know that? And Jesus did exactly the, the things that we are talking about Philip doing as he gathered together with his disciples in this upper room. He came, he came to this place with them and he looked around, looked obviously led by the Spirit, and he took what was right in front of him, this bread, simple bread. He didn't conjure up some you know, different example or something that they'd never seen before. He just responded to the needs around him in the situation he found himself in. He took the bread, and he broke it. He gave thanks for it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he showed them what he was here to do. He had absolute clarity about his purpose and his vision, and he told his disciples this. He said, take and eat each of you. This is my body, broken for you. And they did. After the supper was over, he took the cup, the familiar cup that they had seen many times in front of them, and he gave thanks for it, and he said, now take each of you and drink from this. This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, this is going to be really tough for me but nothing is going to stop me. He said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. Take it and drink each of you. And they did. He showed them that his clarity, his purpose was this, to redeem and save humanity from their sins. And nothing was going to stop him from doing it. No matter what they did to him, no matter what they said about him, no matter how much it hurt, no matter what. Even the, the scripture that the Ethiopian read in Isaiah points to that. His very life would be taken from him, but his purpose was clear and there would be nothing that would stand in his way. He was going to do what he came to do. And look what's happened. Today, as you come to receive communion today. I would invite you, if you've never had your mind changed, if you've never had your heart renewed, if you've never had your spirit transformed by the power of the gospel, let this be your day. Understand that's what he came to do. And understand there's nothing preventing you from being born again except whatever you would allow in your life. So come today. Receive. Be prepared. And if you've been walking with Christ for a long time but have been sitting back waiting for him to send you someplace exotic to do ministry, then begin to thank him that you're right where you are and respond to those needs immediately. And watch 
how God does great things in each of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come to this time, God, we prepare our hearts, we set our minds upon you, and we ask, Lord, that as we receive your body and blood today, God, that you would show us what your purpose is for us. And God, you would maybe begin to show us the reasons why we have not accomplished that. Show us the things that are holding us back, Lord, and show us that those things are so small and inconsequential when compared to the power of your Spirit. Father, may we all be pointed towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we're getting set, you can be prepared to come and receive the uh, elements this morning, and you can feel led to give in your offering as well. shed for you. Thank you, Jesus. The blood of Christ shed for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.